Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. The question that is directing us these next three weeks is the question, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is at work in a community of people? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit of God comes and inhabits a community of people? We get the answer to that question in Acts chapter 2. So go ahead and grab a Bible and please open up to Acts chapter 2. You can find that on page 910 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Some of us might be familiar with Acts chapter 2 because we read Acts chapter 2 every year. Uh, on Pentecost. And so if you can think back a couple months ago, back in the month of May, we celebrated the Feast of Pentecost, one of the most important uh, times in the church. It's where we recognize and commemorate and celebrate the birth of the church when the church came into being through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ is risen. It's not Easter, but we can say it all the time, right? We can say it. Hallelujah. Christ was risen, and then 40 days after Christ was risen, he ascended, right? And then 10 days after his ascension, which would be 50 days after the resurrection, Pentecost took place, and we read about it in Acts chapter 2. And you might be familiar with some of the things that happened in Acts chapter 2 on that first day. Of Pentecost. You might remember that the disciples were there together in that upper room praying, and the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, and, and there were the flames of fire upon the foreheads, and there was also the speaking in different languages as the disciples declared the work of God in Christ to all those gathered who spoke those languages. Um, if we think about Pentecost as an event, What we're going to read about today is the aftermath, which actually continues into this very moment. If you take a stone and you drop it into the water, when the stone hits the water, that's the impact, that's the event, and then what happens afterwards is the rippling out, right, the waves that come from that impact. And in the same way, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see this impact event of the Holy Spirit coming and inhabiting God's people and creating the church. But what we're going to read today is really what flows out from that event. It's the effect, the rippling out effect of that event. And so look with me first at verse 37. This is really where the events of Pentecost are coming to a head. Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, this is Peter's sermon, his message about Christ, it says, they were cut to the heart, right? The word of God had an impact on them. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. One sermon 
3,000 people saved and brought into God's kingdom. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to see the rippling out effect of what the Holy Spirit does as he comes and inhabits this group of people that we call the church. Let's just go ahead and read this together because we're going to be in this text for three weeks. We're going to do a deep dive into verses 42 to 47 for three weeks. And let's read this together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit inhabits a community of people. Now, this is going to show us three things about what the Holy Spirit creates in a community. Uh, we're going to see today that the Holy Spirit creates within a community devotion to worship. That's our focus today. Next week, we'll see from this text that, uh, that the Holy Spirit creates a devotion to community, to growing in relationship with other Christians. And then third, we'll see that the Holy Spirit creates devotion to service, both service to the world in our vocations and service to one another as the people of God. So let's dig in to just one single verse here. I want us to spend all of our time in verse 42, because it's here in verse 42 that we see the church being devoted to worship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Friends, that's worship right there. That's what we're doing right now. That's what the church does, motivated by the Holy Spirit. We come together as God's people, and we devote ourselves to these particular things. I love that word devotion. As I studied this word, uh, it, it really has a pretty neat meaning. Uh, to be devoted in the New Testament means that one has a steadfast and single-minded devotion to a certain course of action. It's like the moment that the running back gets the football, there's a single-minded devotion to one goal. And in the same way, that's what the church's goal is. The church has this goal of being devoted single-mindedly, steadfastly to this action we call worship. And so we get a description of what this worship is that we devote ourselves to uh, with four words or phrases. The first that you'll see in verse 42 is the apostles' teaching. A, a community that is inhabited by the Holy Spirit will naturally devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what is the apostles' teaching? Well, back in the time of the apostles, we have to remember that there was no New Testament, right? So it's not like Peter would have got up and said, all right, everybody open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. That didn't exist yet. It was still being written and, and so there was no New Testament, but what the church had at that time was the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the law and the prophets. 
And so what Peter and the other apostles would have done is they would have stood up and they would have told the story of Moses and the exodus from Egypt or the story of David or the story of any of the saints in the Old Testament. And they would have shown how from those stories that they pointed towards Christ and found their fulfillment in Christ. Not only that, the apostles would have stood up and they would have declared the mighty works and the wonders done by Jesus. They would have declared his teaching, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching that they heard, the teachings that they were given from Jesus. Not only that, they would have declared most important of all, just like Peter did in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, they would have declared the central core of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins and that he was raised according to the scriptures on the third day so that we might have life and salvation in him. That is the teaching of the apostles. Well, we don't have the apostles with us anymore, and yet, by God's grace, we've been left the teaching of the apostles. If you hold up your Bible and you look at about a third of it or a quarter of it at the end, that is all the teaching of the apostles, the gospels. The letters we have from Paul and Peter and James and John, Revelation, this is all the teaching of the apostles. And so when the Holy Spirit inhabits a community of people, what we do naturally is we gather and we devote ourselves with single-minded focus to the teaching of the apostles. That's why in every worship service we have uh, readings from the scriptures, right? We're devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. That's what a sermon is. It is a devotion to the teaching of the apostles. So within a healthy community that is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, there will be a natural hunger and desire for the living and active word of God, right? When we as a community have lethargy or indifference or lukewarmness towards God's living and active word, the teaching of the apostles, something's off. But when we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, there is this insatiable hunger for God's word where we just can't get enough of it. We need that word. We know that we live by it. We devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. The next word that's used in this series of words related to worship is the fellowship. And this is a word that has a broad meaning. Fellowship means simply sharing something in common. It really means our life together in Christ. It means that we share life together. We'll talk about that more next week. But the word is actually the word that we use for Holy Communion. It means that we're sharing in Christ together. We share in the life of Jesus. We gather around him and share in him together. It is very much what we mean when we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the communion or the fellowship of the saints. God's holy people. So in a community that's inhabited by the Holy Spirit, naturally we will begin to get to know one another. We will desire to be together. We will want to share together in this joint mission to glorify God and make his name known. The next word that's used or the phrase is the breaking of the bread. Now the breaking of the bread in scripture can simply mean that you're sharing a meal together. Um, For example, we have the breaking of the donuts, right, after uh, worship often over in the fellowship hall. It can mean simply sharing a meal together. But in this particular context, it almost certainly means more. It means holy communion. 
For one, the, the phrase is used, breaking of the bread, within the context of other things done in worship. But Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says, is not this bread that we break sharing in the body of Christ? And is not this cup that we share sharing in the blood of Christ? Or turn with me briefly. Make sure you don't lose Acts chapter 2, but just turn two books back to Luke chapter 24, last chapter of Luke, page 885. And let's remember that Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts. And we need to think of Luke and Acts as kind of one single work. Luke, his gospel tells us about the life and the work of Jesus, but the uh, Acts is going to tell us about the life and work of Jesus in the church through the Holy Spirit. So think, if you're, if you're thinking of Luke and Acts as just one single book, chapter 24 is just a couple chapters removed from Acts chapter 2. And we're going to see that term, breaking of the bread, used in a very clear way. So look with me at Luke 24, verse 30. This is right after Jesus was raised from the dead. He's on the road to Emmaus with his disciples, and they don't actually know that it's Jesus. But look at verse 30. It says, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it, right, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and check this out, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's very clearly talking about the Lord's Supper instituted by Jesus. That is something that we naturally do as we gather as God's people. A, a community that is inhabited by the Holy Spirit is naturally going to hunger and thirst to commemorate and remember the center of the gospel, which is that Christ laid down his life, shed his blood, his body was broken for you and for me. That is the center of our life together. And so it's natural that we gather around that gift to remember Christ's death and receive the very benefits of it. And then finally, we hear about the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. These were very likely formal Jewish prayers that were prayed by all Jews, but given a Christian twist to them, recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. Or they would have been prayers that the Lord taught, for example, the Lord's Prayer. The church would gather and say their prayers together. You see, in worship, the Holy Spirit creates an awareness in us that there is much that we need from God in this mission he's given us. We can't do it in our own strength. And so naturally we come and we ask our Father the things that we need, yes, for this life, but also for the mission that we share together. When the Holy Spirit inhabits a community, we will naturally be devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, the prayers, all those things that comprise Christian worship. So how do we apply this to our lives? What about us now, 21st century Carney? I believe there's three applications here. A heart check, a word of encouragement, and a question. The heart check is this. Is 
if we're not devoted to these things, then the question's why? What's getting in the way of us being devoted to these things? I think it often has to do with our own affections because if we find something to be lovely and to be attractive, we will naturally gather around it and celebrate it. You know, why do people spend so much money to go to a Garth Brooks concert, right? Because there's something lovely and attractive and compelling about that music that they're going to fill Memorial Stadium to have that experience, and they're going to gather around it and celebrate it. Or why is it that people fill Memorial Stadium to see the Huskers play? Because for many people, there's something very beautiful and attractive and moving about the Huskers, so much so that some people may even have more affection and passion for the Huskers than they do for Jesus Christ. We naturally gather around and we celebrate what we love most. And the same is true of worship. Another reason is that we might not actually understand our real desperate need. I will tell you the reason why I come to worship. I don't come to worship because I'm a pastor. Yes, it's helpful that I show up on Sunday morning. I come here because I need this. I need this desperately. Um, this is my therapy. This is my treatment plan, right? I need this. One of the, the reasons I think that we might neglect worship is because we don't actually believe that we're sinners. If we really knew that we're sinners, we'd be here, right? Because we'd say, oh, I need this more than I need my next breath. This is an invitation to, to check our hearts and to, to open ourselves up to the Lord and say, Lord, search me and know me and try me. And if there's anything that gets in the way of worship, what is it, Lord? The next is an encouragement. And the encouragement is this. I believe that you and I need worship in this moment more than ever. I'm not saying you didn't need worship last week or the week before, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, I'm saying we just need it now more than ever. I mean, yesterday was a real painful day for us as a nation. I realize that when my kids come home from school and they say, Dad, we learned about 9-11, our teacher said, can you ask your parents about where you were at when that happened? It's a lot of pain and grief, but not only that, aren't we living in just a really anxious time? like anxiety upon anxiety, and everybody's strung out, right? And we might think, oh man, worship's just another thing. No, it's the thing. It's the thing that we need. We need it desperately because, you see, out there in the world, we experience a lot of uncertainty. Isn't it true that you experience uncertainty in your work? There's uncertainty in your relationships. There's uncertainty out in society. There's, there's uncertainty everywhere. We don't know exactly what to do or what to believe or how to act. There's uncertainty, but when you come to this place and we gather ourselves around the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers, there is certainty because it's not yes and no with Jesus. All the promises God has given us in Christ are yes and amen in him. Any promise God's given, what's more certain than receiving the body and blood of Christ and hearing those words for the forgiveness of your sins? You can't find that certainty in the world. You find it here. The world we live in is becoming more and more a place where there's no grace. There's hostility, there's judgment, there's fear. There's no grace. Isn't this a place of grace? 
where time and time again we're, we hear that we're loved by God unconditionally, and that never changes. Isn't it true that out there in the world, things are always changing? We never know what the next headline is going to be. It's going to change. But isn't it true that when we come here, we're receiving something timeless, something that just doesn't change? Regardless of what happens out in the world, regardless of what happens in your life, if you feel like your life is unraveling, when you come into this place, Christ is still risen. Never changes. There's a reason why 20 years ago, in the aftermath of 9-11, people went, they sought refuge in churches. People who weren't even Christians came often to a sanctuary because they sensed that it's a place where things don't change. That even when things are literally falling apart, there's something stable and steady here. And the final is a question. And that question is provoked by a question that I have heard often. And the question I've heard is, is often, uh, Pastor, are we going to continue the NTV services? Uh, are we going to continue uh, Channel 13 services 10 a.m. on Sundays? And whenever I hear that question, I always feel two feelings at once. I feel a feeling of hope and expectation and opportunity, and I also feel a feeling of reservation and even anxiety. Let me flesh that out for you. On the one hand, I think of the people who are watching those services who are in a nursing home or a care facility, and they would be in church if they could, but they can't because of their health or because of their age. And it gives me a lot of joy to know that they're hearing God's word. Or there's people who might be flipping through the stations and they, and they might come across the preacher and say, I'll listen to this for a minute. And maybe they've never heard the name of Christ. And maybe the Holy Spirit uses that to get into their hearts and bring about faith. Or, or maybe there's people who are quarantined right now or have COVID or have health conditions that make gathering in person just, just not something that will work right now. And so once again, they're able to hear the word of God outside of church. But then I also have this feeling of reservation, and the feeling of reservation is this. Um, what if this becomes the normal rather than something we're using in the meantime? What if we get really comfortable on the couch, you know, in the pajamas, you got your coffee, you can pause the preacher, you can, you know, he's boring, you can fast forward, right? All those things. Not saying that people do that, but, um, you know, maybe we can get comfortable not being together. Um, or, or maybe people might even say, instead of going back to my church where I worship, I'm just going to watch this service on TV. And it really begins to break down the community, the fellowship of God's people. There's a key word in our text today, and the key word is together. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And in verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Together. Our desire is to be together. And certainly together has had its challenges in the last year and a half, and to some extent still does. But our goal is always together. Maybe some of you have been in a long-term relationship before, like, a, I mean, a long-distance relationship. You know, like maybe you're engaged or you're dating somebody seriously and that relationship is in a different time zone or different state. So, you know, uh, back when I was in that situation, it's get on the phone, you know, and talk every night. And maybe now it's Zoom or, or you know, uh, FaceTime or something like that. And, and that's okay for a season, right? 
But, but what if an engaged couple said, hey, we're going to get married, but we're still going to do the long distance thing, you know, because that wouldn't make any sense, right? That's not the end goal. <laughs> the end goal is to move in together and to be together. And, and that's kind of the way that I see this whole weird season that we're living in is for a time being, it might be long distance because of health concerns and things like that. But what's our end goal? Our end goal is not to get comfortable on the couch. Our end goal is to be together because there's something about together that's special, that the Holy Spirit's using. I want to close with just one final scripture verse that I think sums it up really well. Let's go over to Hebrews uh, chapter 10. That's on page 1007. And look with me at verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It's hard to do that from a distance, right? Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet what? Together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, especially in the days in which we live. It's so important that we would gather together as God's people and encourage one another, devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and the prayers, because in those things, the Holy Spirit is at work for our good. In the name of Jesus, amen.